0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.
1: Was there another UFO crash in New Mexico at the same time as the Roswell incident? Was it really a UFO? Could parts of the craft still be there on the plain of San Augustine?
2: Hey there and welcome to the 547th edition of Behind the Paranormal with... Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those lofty questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, we bring you a new guest this evening on a uh, UFO topic that hasn't really been uh, as much attention as some other topics that we've had, but it could be just as important. And we welcome your calls during the show, of course. The numbers are 401-766-1240 locally or from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240.
1: Art Campbell is a retired educator who has been active in UFO investigation since the mid-1950s. A U.S. Navy veteran of the Korean War, thank you for that, sir. He began working with the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, or NICAP, in 1958. He writes about UFOs and also about UFO history. I should say just about history itself, not necessarily UFO history. (laughs) The book that brought him here today is Finding the UFO Crash at St.
2: Augustine. Art lives in Medford, Oregon. So welcome to the show, Art Campbell. Welcome to Behind the Paranormal.
0: I oh, it's uh, very glad to be with you.
2: Oh, it's great to have you with us. So uh, let's lay out some background uh, for this case. What happened on the plane of uh, St. Augustine?
0: Well, uh, we go back to the night of uh, July of 1st and 2nd, uh, 1947. Uh, some archaeologists were camped nearby. And I didn't get this directly, but secondhand I got it from them, and uh, they saw something coming down uh, that looked like a meteor. In those days, anything in the sky that was was lit up was a meteor. Uh, and uh, they were getting ready to do a survey the next morning and, uh, at the, a place called Back Cave, about six miles away, from where they saw the meteor come down. They said, well, we'd better go over and check that out. Uh, uh, in those days, you could get you know, $1,000 a pound for a meteor a big one so uh, they went over put, put their stuff together and uh, and that night they were around a campfire when it had happened and then apparently one of the guys had a, a transit set up with a, a tripod and he said I'll leave this transit over there to where the light came down and in the morning we'll try to go over and find it so when daylight came they got a uh, 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 hur- uh, hurried breakfast and got in their car and went over to, to see the meteor well it was in a depression area you couldn't see the planes are an old lake bed, but they're not uh, flat. There's vegetation and so forth around the edges. and This was on the far edge, about six miles away. Uh, they went into looking for a meteor, and they found a UFO with four bodies, about 25 to 26 feet in diameter, uh, and it was about uh, 8 or 10 feet thick. Uh, and uh, they were absolutely astounded. There was another man there uh, that had, had driven in on a pickup truck. His name was Barney Burnett, and uh, he was a soil conservation engineer. And he had just discovered it by himself a few minutes earlier by looking over across the plains and saw it glinting in the sun. It was a morning about 1030 on July 2nd. And this is what uh, brought me to the plains uh, 50 years later.
1: Hmm, Okay. Now, I'm sorry for the time travel we're uh, subjecting you to this evening. three hours earlier where you are than it is here. Um, So, anyway, Art, um, well, you answered it. We had a question about whether there were any UFO reports from that area before the crash. Uh, Were there, as opposed to people just thinking it was a meteor? Uh, No. uh,
0: There people didn't understand there was a UFO flap going on in 47. Yeah. And I remember as I was a high school student, uh, and I was a sophomore in high school that year, and um, they had some airline pilots showing buzz saws in the air and some stewardesses throwing hats up in the air and they're all kind of funny and laughing. And I didn't take it very seriously uh, uh, myself. So um, uh, the people were not seriously uh following uFOs in those days, now the military was mm-hmm. they were very sure that they were they were up there and they were uh, a threat to them because they couldn't uh, couldn't get to them so anytime one of them had crashed, they are very interested in uh, uh going out to see what, what what was what was there so a military showed up at this site about an hour after the the engineer and the archaeologist got there and uh told them that this was a government project and not to uh, be too, uh don't talk too much about this and uh, to try to keep them quiet but it was very hard to keep uh, them quiet the archaeologist had the, the guy had a PhD at stake he was down there at um, uh, Cambridge at Harvard he'd come all the way out to uh, New Mexico where this what happened and uh, he certainly had every incentive to keep quiet about it because the, the, if he said he'd seen the, the UFO come down I don't think they would have given him a doctorate which they did several years later Probably and right. uh, the other guy,
1: uh, yeah. No, go go ahead.
0: And the the other the other guy uh had was only a year in his new job and he he put, had pressure from his boss and also military came by and visited him on several cases and asked him not to say anything. And uh so no there weren't any reports in those days of UFOs but the the government still was interested because they knew they were up there.
1: Did anyone see the you know, actual ash- uh, I'm sorry, did, did anyone see the actual crash? Hear anything? Uh, we,
0: had, we, we found one, rel, uh, one uh, uh, five-year-old kid that had come with rock hunting with uh, some relatives, and he claims to have uh, seen it uh, uh, about the same time the others, others, others got there. Uh, but uh, his, uh, being five years old, you can't really remember uh, things too well. But we, we're pretty sure that uh, uh, that he did; he was there with his relatives because he uh, took us to some parts of the site we didn't know about, and hmm. found more wreckage.
2: So, how did you find out about it?
0: Well, i had been uh, there. Have been some UFO people there, and Stanton Friedman, who lives up there above you guys in, uh, in Canada,
1: no good friend uh,
0: said that. Yeah, he's been on your show, I believe.
1: Yeah, and, he's writing uh, the preface for our new book. As a matter of fact.
0: Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, he's a wonderful guy. He had a heart attack recently. Do you know that? Uh, he's doing fine. Though. Yeah, the day uh, after the I sent him out.
1: the first four chapters of the book, I hope that had nothing to do with it. Uh, and, yeah. n- not not to make light of that, but we, we couldn't help but oh,
0: notice the oh. coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I talked to his wife, certainly after it happened, and she said he's arresting, doing fine, and, and, and making jokes. So That's good, uh, yeah. I knew he'd be all right.
1: Looking forward to In seeing case, him at a couple of conferences this fall.
0: Well, I haven't seen him, but uh, I, we've talked to each other, and he, uh, by the way, has endorsed the the book.
1: I noticed that. Uh, yeah, the, it's on the back. Yep,
0: comment I on the back of the book. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, he had told me that there was some uh, some activity out there, and a farmer had found a swath in a sagebrush that uh, that that would uh, that didn't belong there. Something had taken the, the sagebrush out. And, uh, as it turned out, it was our UFO coming in maybe a hundred miles an hour, and uh who knows what propulsion but um it apparently was a trench that had been filled in by the military hmm. and uh this state wasn't going back there. we didn't get there until
1: 1994,
0: right oh uh, many years later,
1: okay uh now, just looking at this from um sort of a detective standpoint obviously if this if, if there had if there was a crash and, and apparently something came down if it was a meteor that would be obvious if it were an aircraft of any kind uh it would have I mean, either private aviation or a commercial certainly there would be reports on and it would, there would be uh it would be well known it's,
0: it's a pretty remote area and uh people out there d- didn't get the Albuquerque Journal paper till the day after it was published, hmm. and the, the nearest uh, the newspaper was down at Socorro, called the the Socorro Defender, chieftain of all so those old names, and uh, so uh, it uh, it it wouldn't have made. Uh, there wasn't uh, a lot of uh, uh, news out there in the area, and I would say there might be more than uh, uh, twenty people per square mile in that area, okay, and uh, they're mostly ranchers and uh, running cattle.
1: All right. Art, um, I'm wondering why, or did they, uh, did the government do anything like what they did at Roswell uh, in that uh, area? Of, you know, people being threatened and uh, all sorts of things being shut down and the military descending on the town. What uh, what happened in that department?
0: Well, the uh, gentleman that uh, was the, was the um, civil engineer um, said he had been uh, talked to and... As he got a little older, he was in his 60s. He died when he was 69. But he got uh, as he got a little older, I think the, the threats were just a little bit more intimidating to him. But they had come by and, on several occasions and asked him not to say anything, and he wasn't blabbing it around. And uh, we, we don't know. Uh, he did tell his relatives who told us about it, but uh, he wasn't blabbing it around town or anything like that. So he's the only one we know that was talked to. And there's a, a lot of rumors about... Roswell and they, how intimidating they were, and so forth and so on. And that may be over at Roswell. But we're 165 miles west of there. Mm-hmm. And this uh, craft came down four days before Roswell wreckage was, was found. Mm-hmm. So it was probably the first one uh, good-sized man craft that, right. uh, that, that hit the Earth.
1: Okay. Uh, so what did you find in 1994? And are you sure no one got there before you did, as far as civilian Investigators are concerned who picked things up
0: well, there were five people uh in uh which to start our chapter of chapter four i believe mm-hmm. shows uh five people uh standing uh, looking at in the sky and one guy pointing well the guy pointing was the five year old now in his seventies <laughs> who brought them there in mm-hmm. uh nineteen uh nineteen ninety mm-hmm. and um so uh they all talked about something happening there, but in, in ufology, we have an awful lot of talkers. Not many people take shovels with them. Mm-hmm. and uh, we, Now we have metal detectors, and so there are very few people who were willing to do the, the grunt work, as they call, used to call it in the Navy, uh, at a site. Uh, they said, oh, this is what, probably where something happened, and something, something happened here, and uh, we got the information, let's go to the library, whatever, newspapers, and people get all excited about it, but uh, as far as I know, I was the first one to do any uh, searching for materials there.
1: Okay, and what did and, you find? Uh, I'm, no, go ahead. I'm first
0: sorry. First time I was. Yeah, it's all right. The first time I found uh, a, a piece that was maybe an artificial body part, and that really got to me because I've been a Western historian for some years and knew what was what you'd find in a, in a sagebrush, which you wouldn't, and it was uh, looked like a piece of uh, something that. Uh, about the size of your fist, but it had been collapsed. And some of the medical people said they had no idea what it was. But somebody said it might have been a bag, and another person said, well, it had a fluid in it. Uh, We don't know what it was. But uh, that was the first thing I found. I went back every year for the next several years and started finding other things. One of them was a shoe sole.
1: A shoe sole, okay. Now... Well, can, can you give us a list of the major things you found uh, briefly, just so we'll get some kind of picture of what, uh, what sort of. Uh, okay, I'll give
0: you the major list of things I found, then what we found later. There's uh, two sections of this thing. We started in 1994, and it goes up for about 10 years. And I started picking up things like the shoe sole and some uh, some foil. It looks like a regular tin foil that you'd get at the grocery store. And I said, what's it doing out here? It wasn't a trash dump where, where, where that kind of stuff was. So, um, um, I picked that that material up, and uh, it costs quite a bit of money to have it analyzed. So I said, "Well, I'll just save it until a time when I somebody will, uh, will volunteer to pay for it." Every time they run this through an ICPMS machine, essentially it breaks down the atoms in a in a piece of something, and then tells you what what elements are there. Mm-hmm. In any case, uh, I found mostly that uh, that. That that uh, uh, thing that looked like a body organ. Turned out to be high density polyethylene, uh, very similar to what we would find in a Tupperware. Okay. And uh, then uh, so I had a, a little bit of this stuff, and I had the foil and so forth. And I invited a guy out um, in uh, 2004, and he brought in uh, a Navajo crew. He's an ex- he was a builder at the Gallup area. And they started uh, doing some digging with some big screens, and started pulling up more of the foil that I'd found.
3: From
1: how how far? From down, like several feet below ground.
0: Uh, No, the royal was uh, had sand on top. Actually, this was an active royal, and if I spud to come down, it'd be maybe several inches deep. And for us Yankees,
1: could you explain what an arroyo is?
0: Well, an arroyo is a depression in the ground, and we would call it a gulch. In the Midwest, uh, where I grew up, uh, but we have long flat areas on the, in the desert, and water has to run somewhere.
1: Well, when they are and downpours, and it runs yeah. an arroyo,
0: and then yeah. it runs off. You know, uh, uh, to, to uh, and sometimes just goes out into a, a basin, and in this case, it went out into the old lake bed, but uh, it just seeped down into the sand. There was no, no standing water at all. Mm-hmm. So this arroyo was about 150 yards wide. And uh, that's the same area where those archaeologists found that uh, found this found this craft.
1: Okay, the reason I brought uh, up the arroyo thing, Art, is because you know some people might suggest that, uh, and it, it really, and folks, it really does pour in, when it rains. It pours. That had to come from the southwestern deserts. Uh, that saying, because uh, it really, really does. And in these these arroyos, that's where the water goes, as Art was saying. And Art, someone might might suggest that maybe. The things being found there were carried there from somewhere else, and as you know, uh, and I know, out there in the southwestern deserts, there is unfortunately a lot of uh, a lot of junk here and there that people have left at one time or another or whatever. So, uh, how would you respond to people to say, "Well, maybe this wasn't from a UFO at all," and and how would you say that that you you really think it was?
0: Well, uh, it wasn't my opinion. I didn't give an opinion that this was UFO material until we had it analyzed.
1: Okay, yeah, that's and, the uh, Colburn uh, report, it,
0: right? Yes, it was. Yes, okay. that was. Uh, by the way, that's free to your uh, to your listeners. Um, uh, can I mention my website?
1: Oh, by all means, yeah, we, we give you a, yeah, a time that, to do that. But yeah. no, go ahead and mention it now.
0: Yeah, on my website, which is a www. World, uh, World Wide Web. U S. UFO There's a, uh, a button that you uh, click on called the Coburn uh, the Stephen Coburn Report, scientific report Coburn. I believe it's called. And uh, you can get a 42-page uh, 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 document and download it yourself if you'd like. Uh, and we will put it on there for uh, uh, for free for uh, any reader who is interested in it. And it tells you the scientific process in great detail of the first eleven pieces, the first six pieces of metal we had sent into the lab. Mm-hmm. And most of those pieces were found by that Navajo crew uh, in 2004. And then after, uh, in 2011, uh, with the help of the, the kid that was five years old at the time, we were able to determine that it, the UFO had skipped above, above at another place, and we started finding big pieces as, uh, as oh, 20 inches by 10, I think was our biggest one, and uh, hard as steel. The stuff was really hard. And then we found other uh, pieces of metal, and some stuff that looked like a wash nest, called honeycomb. Hmm. Uh, none of that material was uh, available, and, and th- this was up on a hillside, so nothing can wash um, wash up on a, a bare hillside. Uh, it has to come from the air. Yeah, that's and, true. Uh, So we, we did a lot of research on it. That's what we found. Mostly is uh, those big pieces, and we featured those in our uh, chapters, uh, several chapters in the book.
1: Yeah, there are pictures of all these things in the book.
0: Yeah, we have over, over ninety pictures.
1: Well, I must say, uh, I, uh, I, I, I'm really—I I must say—I haven't finished it yet, but I'm very much enjoying the book. It's—it's it's full of information. You really are very thorough. Um, I, I think it could use a little editing, but I'm only saying that because I'm a professional editor. So, <laughs> but maybe other people wouldn't uh, <clears throat> wouldn't be bothered with that. But it's very, very good, very, very, very informative, very informative, and uh, well thought out. So, if I might say, if I may say that. So. Well, thank you. So uh, go ahead. Uh, and, and, and tell us, by all means, about the Colburn Report. What uh, conclusions were reached uh, and that sort of thing? Now, now, you didn't tell them that this could have been from a UFO crash, right?
0: The, the laboratory? Yeah. Uh, no, we, we dealt with about eight or ten labs. Mm-hmm. And you don't tell laboratories that you found UFO materials. They say, well, oh, thank no, you very much. No. Right. And, and hand you back your check or whatever. Yes. And so I never contacted the labs that we found UFO material. And uh, I would just get the report and uh, and, uh, and file it, and uh, I did that with a little shoe sole. I did that with uh, those the metal pieces, and then later on, a gentleman who was a, a donor donated about twenty five hundred dollars to have it r- run through a laboratory. That's the first six pieces that we're talking about here in the Coburn report. And uh, what they do is uh, uh, they break it down and and in, in um, the powder, kind of like you would. Um, uh, gunpowder or something, and he run that into a, um, a chamber in a, in a machine that wasn't invented until 1989. And I'm giving you the initials ICPMS, and some of your uh, listeners may want to Google that. It's a little hard to explain. In any case, they, they run this material into this machine and uh, in, uh, atomize it in some liquid and spray that into a chamber that's 26,000 degrees at temperature. And it automatically separates every bit element, every known element, uh, in, uh, into a, uh, a graph out the other end in about forty seconds. And then you take that material and say, "Well, we have these materials now. Uh, Where could they have been from Earth?" And it tells you what percentage of the material was in the, the piece of metal, and uh, then what percentage uh, of, of you had uh, of, your, of, uh, of iron, copper. Um, magnesium, what have you, and they compare that then with what we know that that uh, the, the isotope content that we on Earth of what something is, and and, and they can tell whether it's made uh, made on Earth or not. And that's how we determine that it, we, we're pretty sure it was from uh, somewhere else.
1: Well, that that's one question that might arise is the difference between elements and alloys. So uh, if unknown. Well, we've been to the moon. We've been to Mars, pretty much, and this sort of thing. And the physical universe, at least in our neighborhood, seems to be made up pretty much of the same elements. There's no reason to, bl- although if you're talking about parallel universes, that that's that may be different. But uh, but leaving that out for the moment, there's the issue of of uh, was it were, were alloys made from these elements that are not made on Earth? Is that what you're getting at, or
0: Oh, uh, you, you, I'm telling you, they were part of the content of the metal. Certainly, they would be alloys added together. But uh, in, interestingly enough, for the science buffs out there, uh, they, they apparently have the same elements we do. Yes. And uh, everything was recognizable that was uh, that, that came out of, of that uh, ICPMS machine as one of our one of ours. But ours are are, are different because they're created under different circumstances. And so every okay. bit of iron or aluminum or bauxite or whatever is going to be signature. That's how they can tell where a meteor comes from. They know uh, what it is, what the iron content is on Mars, or Venus, uh, the asteroid belt, uh, and they compare it with ours and they find out that they're skewed. And they're not the same as the as metals we have on Earth. And that's how we can tell that it's not from, from here.
1: It probably there might not have been the funding for this, and if I, I missed this in the Colburn report, I'm sorry, but I, I don't remember anything about carbon dating. Was that was that ever done with any of this material to find out how old it might be?
0: Well, no. Uh, it was uh, the science report was a co- surprise. I didn't uh, commission uh, Colburn to do it. I had this friend of mine who'd come out there with the Navajos. in 2011 and had discovered a whole lot of stuff, and he had a friend. He had met somebody at a UFO conference that said, well, I'd like to uh, to help you find out what that material is. And mm-hmm. uh, so they gave him the, the, the six, first six pieces that he sent uh, to, uh, to Mr. Coburn, by the way, had been a, an associate of Dr. Roger Lear, mm-hmm. who had worked for years and years on uh, impl- implants. He that people had put, put they found a, an anomaly in their toe or their... A nose or the back of their head or something, and it turned out to be metal. It showed up on an X-ray when they had the X-rays done. Okay, so well, this guy was quite quite competent.
1: Okay, uh, let's go back. And we have to take a break shortly, but let's go back to the the actual crash. And you mentioned four bodies were found. What happened to the bodies?
0: Well, uh, once the military came in and uh, shoot off the civilians, uh, they didn't need to stand around. Uh, we think the bodies were sent up to probably Kirkland Air Force Base, and eventually ended up at Wright Patterson, where they had uh, the facilities to uh... to uh... to keep them. I think they had uh, underground freezers or something there or something. And apparently, a lot of them in those days, any any body or body parts uh, they found at a UFO crash, ended up at the research lab of Wright Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton, Ohio.
1: Now, that's my understanding uh, too.
0: Yeah, and. Uh, but the craft itself, we think was probably, uh, may have, may have ended up with Dayton, but we had to be shipped out, uh, down, uh, south to, uh, uh to, uh, the San Antonio area, and, um, uh, where it had, uh, uh, railroad connections to, uh, to the east. And, uh, there was a railroad that ran, uh, oh, about 40 miles away, and we, and they used to run cattle on it. And we suspect they may have got in there at night, uh, got the craft loaded up, and uh, then uh, got the craft out of there and uh, shipped it down to, to a military base for, I believe, for preparation for shipping it east. And I don't think it was kept in the west at all. It ship back to, okay. back, to, back, to, back to the east. Okay. And, and the, yeah.
1: Uh, no, no, go ahead. You've still got a few seconds
0: uh so that's what we uh as far as we know that's what would happen to the material uh, Werner von Braun who was had a German scientist they brought over here in nineteen uh forty five were down there nearby uh, at uh, right now it's, it's known as Holloman Air Force Base uh, and uh, near Albuquerque, New mexico and they were within twenty five or thirty miles of it and and von Braun had written something about having seen uh, uh, a crashed UFO. In some of his work, uh, I I haven't uh, wasn't able to find it, but I talked to people who had read it, and uh, uh, it's possible that uh, the German scientists had looked at this and uh, uh, would be very interested in it.
1: Fascinating stuff. Okay, we're going to take our break. Uh, we'll be right back with our guest uh, Art Campbell and, and the very interesting uh, crash information from the San Augustine plane in in New Mexico. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with paul and ben eno on woon 1240 in new england's beautiful blackstone river valley and we'll be right back
3: hi i'm russ gorman when i first started doing my show a program director with a mischievous sense of humor started a rumor that i did the show in the nude not true but you'll get the naked truth and an astrological chart that i do for you I uncover every aspect of your life, helping you to strip away your problems and give you insight to your future. If you're seeking the real skinny for this exciting year, call me for information on getting your individual chart or update done at 401-333-4048 and get your free lucky numbers for the entire year. Don't come home from a casino in a barrel. From the top to the bottom of every page will bear the facts about you and your future. Call me at 401-333-4048 for a real eye-opener. I'm also available for speaking engagements, for your club or groups, and for private parties.
0: Russ, put your clothes back on.
1: And on that note, before we get back to our Campbell, we wanted to just remind you of several of the charities Ben and I have adopted over the years, certainly locally, Builders Helping Heroes a subsidiary nonprofit of the Rhode Island Builders Association, which does wonderful work for veterans and their families, combat veterans and their families, and the families of those who have been killed uh, since 9-11 in the military service of our country. And uh, they will uh, actually do remodeling and uh, actually built a house in in Burlville, Rhode Island right in our listing area uh, for a wounded Marine who had lost both his legs in Afghanistan. And I was privileged to be at that uh, key ceremony when that was completed and turned over to the family. Uh, Also, uh, Builders Help, I should it's a um, usacares.org does great things for veterans, Canadian veterans advocacy as well for our friends to the north, and youth mentoring connection in Los Angeles, not a veterans group. But uh, Tony LeRae out there, a good friend, uses fantastic uh, approaches by using indigenous wisdom and ancient wisdom to help and there's nothing occult about it, I should say, uh, to help at-risk youth in the Los Angeles area, and his methods are now being used in Peru and certain other places, and we're encouraging the spread of that because it's great stuff. All right, let's get back to our interview with Art Campbell, author of the book Finding the UFO Crash at San Augustine. Fascinating Uh, situation that sort of ran parallel to the famous Roswell case, and we've been talking about that that for the last half hour. Now let's get into some of the life forms that may have been involved here. Art said the first artifact he found was a possible... uh, I I, I kind of wanted
2: to ask a little something about um, the Nazi, the transplanted Nazi scientists that actually had to... um, Like Dr. Wernher von Braun, Braun, without whom we never would
1: have gotten to the moon.
2: right. Yeah. Were there any other um, scientists who were originally Nazi scientists that had um, that, that had reports of seeing maybe this UFO crash or a certain UFO crash?
0: Uh, no, very very sparse. Uh, you know, they were kind of kept under house arrest for for, for uh, just for their own protection uh, after mm-hmm. the war, and they were kind of cloistered off into certain parts of military bases and places, and uh, we didn't hear an awful lot of. of uh, but they said later on they kind of came into their own. Herman Oberth was one of them, and uh, uh, Von Braun's assistant and, and some other people g- got known scientifically pretty well. But uh, uh, we had understood that as a rumor. Uh, we never had any facts that we know of that uh, a UFO may have crashed in uh, Nazi Germany in the 30s.
1: Yeah, but there was we're some Very thankful,
0: that, yeah. very thankful. Very thankful they didn't get the technology from them
1: because one thing I learned in the military art and probably maybe you did too was that I guess it's today called disinformation you 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 release accurate information from inaccurate sources and inaccurate information from accurate sources and it, and it, uh, it sort of gets mixed up and everybody wonders what's going on and it works better than trying to keep secrets. So you don't know if some of this information that we hear is true or not, and uh, probably never will. However, there, there are two points that you make uh, in your book that, that I wanted to simply ask you about because I find them very interesting. One is the issue of, uh, of these life forms and the possibility, because there's a lot of speculation going on in the, the UFO community, the people with... Degrees and the very serious researchers. I'm thinking particularly of uh, Nigel Kerner in the UK and a few others. That these greys, the classic aliens that people report seeing and th- that uh, are, are are supposedly present during uh, abduction experiences, may be robots, as we might say, or, or half robots, half living, sort of biomechanical with artificial intelligence. Uh, Given the artifact that you found, uh, what say you on that?
0: Well, we did a a lot of looking to see what it might have been. And uh, a a, a gentleman named Philip Corso was the highest source we know of who came out uh, more or less as a whistleblower on UFOs about
1: 1995.
0: Yeah, Colonel Philip Corso. Yes, Colonel Philip Corso, retired. He was uh, in charge of the... the, uh, extraterrestrial material that that, they, that had been collected by uh, the Army uh, and uh, then it became the Army Air Force and so he still had some in the file cabinet that's been talked about and uh, he said that um, he had seen, uh, had been to several uh, autopsies and had information from others that the, uh, the aliens and they were, the, uh, we're talking about the grace here uh, but a little different, I'll tell you about that in a minute that they had taken, uh, they had cloned themselves. So everybody remembers Dolly the Sheep. Yes. And uh, and uh, they had made one uh, from uh, whatever it took to put them together, and then had then done surgery on them and imported, Im- implanted imp- uh, parts uh, made uh, were more uh, suitable to space travel. So we think possibly that that thing we found Looks like a bent over fist, and your readers can, can see it if they go to the website. Uh, I have it uh, part of it showing there, mm-hmm. unifocrashbook.com. And um, uh, we think that that may have been one of the artificial organs that Koso mentioned that was put into a clone. Now, uh, there, I'm not uh, up on this, and I don't do a lot of uh, research on this, but uh, clones are biological entities that are. Uh, are put together and, uh, and then, uh, there's a, a, a you know, usually a natural mother and father, but they, the, uh, they've changed the, uh, the, um, the egg to, uh, an, uh, the material that, uh, that makes it, that makes a, a uh, makes a baby into something, uh, um, something different. They found a way to, to do that. I'm not an expert in it. But we think that maybe the part we found was part of, uh, of a cone. So we think at least one clone was on board that craft. And there may have been natural uh, people there, uh, aliens. And um, Barnett described, was the first one, by the way, to describe the alien. He did it to his family and friends in 1947. And we didn't learn about them until 1980. Uh, in the first UFO book, called, uh, the Burlitz and Moore wrote, called The Roswell Incident. And, uh, he described them as, uh, four to four and a half feet tall. Uh, they were wearing gray, um, uh, uniforms, uh, from their wrists to the neck and then down, uh, down to their ankles. Uh, they, they, um, had, uh, light bulb shaped heads, uh, with the uh, large part on top. But he described the eyes as funny. And those large-eyed aliens that we see pictures of now uh, are, didn't come weren't uh, reported by anybody until the Betty and Barney Hill, which is your part of the country up there. Yes, and, yeah. Uh, I believe somewhere in Maine. Yeah. Uh, 50th and, anniversary uh, next year. Oh, you know, yeah. Well, I'm in 60? contact with with her, with uh, a, a gal who's uh, was, was in contact with Betty Hill for a long time.
1: Oh, Kathy and Meyer, so
0: the, Yes, it was. Yes.
1: Oh, yeah. We, we uh, know Kathy. Yeah.
0: Okay, good. So, um, this is the first we knew of, uh, the first anybody had written about large-eyed uh, aliens. So I'm guessing perhaps that it might have been some technology change that they had that made them, uh, however they did it, uh, biological or whatever, uh, however, uh, so some technological change that happened after the, the, the crash we found, because they, the eyes of this, they said he said the eyes were uh, looked strange, and uh, well, you know how would strange eyes looked? Uh, if you have them far apart, they look mongoloid. If you have them close together, they look cross-eyed. Uh, so uh, they could be different eyelids or larger eyes or something. But he didn't mention large eyes, and so uh, we're assuming that what he said he found was uh, probably a, a extraterrestrial biological entity and perhaps a clone that was a duplicate. And we may have found part of that clone. We think it might have been part of a heart-lone combination, but we're just not sure. Hmm.
1: <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, that's fascinating. Where, and you, have, you have this object now.
0: I do. Uh, okay. I have it hidden away in the closet in a shoe, so I don't think anybody's going to find it.
1: Okay. Let's... Um, Give you a chance now before we burn up the hour, and, we, and this is a quick hour here, a fascinating conversation. Uh, if you could tell us again about the book, the title, where people can get it, and about your website.
0: Okay, well, they can get it from the website. I'd prefer to get it that way. Now, I'm not mailing about it myself. It's uh, it was produced by Amazon and the Create Space, but uh, they go to uh, com. And there's a button there you can click on to order uh, order the book, and uh, uh, that that puts you in contact with the uh, Create Space who who published it,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, they they will send them out, and they're very good about getting them out uh, promptly. And uh, we have some very good uh, reader comments on there. As a matter of fact, the last time I was looking at them, there were four comments, all of them were five star. Mm-hmm. They recommend the book highly, and most of the people in the UFO Community have uh, uh, really really like it also, so it's not just another piece of pabulum. There's something sure. no no, here not. that's
1: it's, a, it's it's quite uh, quite it's very no, informative.
0: Stuff in here that is not in any any other UFO book.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. Okay. Also, my, now now the second connection I wanted to bring up in addition to the life forms was uh, something that really fascinated us, and that's the uh, the connection possibly with the Rendlesham Forest case of 1980, which and we we've we've done more on that than any other show in the world tv or radio uh, and and we've been i've even been there and <clears throat> seen the place with one of the uh, in the presence of one of the witnesses so what 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 would be what is the Rendlesham forest uh, connection here uh, having to do with um uh a an, an emblem or something uh, what what's the story there
0: yes we found an i beam in uh, 2012 and a closer inspection, once we got the dirt off of it, the, uh, the, the, the uh, stuff from the Royal area it was, it was up on the hillside, but was in some rocks. And it was about 13 and a half inches long, and, it, and it's, uh, uh, each, uh, uh, flat piece on the I-beam top and bottom is about two inches, and the I-beam is about an inch and a half high. Well, in uh, one of those flat pieces, we found a triangle and a circle. Uh, it, had, it had been probably stamped there when the metal was made. We think it probably was a maker's mark. And uh, so uh, I got to reading the uh, Reynolds and Forest material and uh, saw a sketch of what Jim Penniston had, had done. He had a very thorough uh, man, with, uh, took notes and everything, and even sketched the, the logo. And they had a triangle and a circle. And I thought, well, well, wait a minute here. Uh, is that some? Uh, is this some kind of symbol that they would have? Like, uh, we would have a cross or, uh, or something like that. And uh, uh, he said it was uh, on the outside, and uh, their triangle circle was actually a triangle and two circles, and one seemed to be going around the other like an orbit. The triangle was in the background, and ours had a, uh, a triangle with a circle in the middle. In the middle. And I was able to, when I went down to photograph it one time, I, I got some graphite that you know in locks to, uh, to get locks lubricated. And I rubbed it on the surface of the uh, I-beam and then took photo, photos of it. And I was able to pick up some small orbs coming in from the back side of that, tri- of that uh, triangle with the orb in it, which uh, indicated to me that, that, that these were some kind of a celestial uh, movement. And someone says, well, you know, that looks like, uh, looks like it might be an eclipse. And I said, well, no, we have a triangle circle on what we found in, 19, uh, uh, in 2012. And there's a triangle a circle on what Peniston found in uh, it was
4: 1980.
0: Yeah. And uh, so uh, the only conclusion we came to was it's not a message for us. It probably is uh, uh, something that they may show... This may be a way that they have showing a reverence. And the same uh, uh, material similar has showed up in some of these crop circles over in England. Yeah, And we think it might be just a reverence to uh, uh to, to science, in the, uh, to their own science or something like that. And uh, I don't think they're necessarily connected to the same place or planet or whatever, but it was a very interesting coincidence. And we explain that thoroughly in the book. Showed pictures of everything.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things we go after on this show, rightly or wrongly, are the assumptions that people make about <clears throat> pretty much every aspect of the paranormal. Now, you, you've just sort of uh, done a fine transition for us <laughs> into one question that might arise, uh, given your case versus the Rendlesham case, and that's um, the true nature, origins, and purpose of whoever or whatever is behind these phenomena. Now assuming that a lot of these phenomena are (coughs) natural or there's some other explanation there's a large percentage as you know Art that that really cannot be explained in any terrestrial sense of the word but um, our question is does that necessarily mean that these are people from other planets Uh, because in our own work we get into um, multiverse considerations and parallel worlds and, and how you travel and all this business and peniston's opinion of the craft that he saw and touched was that these were not aliens but time travelers um wh- what you know in all these years you, you yourself must have formed some opinion as to the origin and the purpose of these things and um wh- what what do you say about who well, these are and well, what, what they want.
0: Well, I think that's an extremely fascinating thing. Uh, but um, And it would fit that they have the same elements we do, but uh, but apparently uh, the when we had the metal analyzed, it did not uh, show that it had come from Earth. Now, they could be time travelers from somewhere else.
1: Oh, sure. I don't yeah. think
0: they're from, from the Earth's future. Uh,
1: could but, be somebody uh, else's uh, future, just, but who knows? You're right.
0: It your could be, yes. Uh, they're probably oh several hundred years to a thousand years ahead of us in technology and one of the reasons the government has kept this quiet is we couldn't possibly uh, catch up with them and uh and uh they've been known to fly over nuclear nuclear uh, uh silos and, and and turn the nuclear stuff the uh the silo on and open the doors and and uh, we just have the technologies far beyond uh, anything we have well, uh, so uh, we assume that that it's a, a body out there somewhere, and that these are physical people living on another planet, and they have the same elements we do, but in, in different uh, with different uh, configurations.
1: Well, Another thing we uh, that that's all, I'm sure, uh, very true. But we, we kind of try to take it beyond that too. Uh, maybe it's because I my degree is in philosophy. I kind of think in a canted sense about a lot of these things. One thing that strikes me about our way of thinking today is that, and I'm sure Ben will agree with me on this, is that the notion of advancement is always considered in terms of technology. In other words, as you say, they may be centuries uh, more advanced than we are. So in other words, they may have more technology and more gadgets. But I would like to know are they advanced morally and spiritually? I'd far much rather deal with a civilization that's that's advanced uh, more or less in the noggin than in the button-pushing. You know what I'm saying? And I'm wondering about that. uh,
0: Yes, uh, I have some opinion on it. Uh, I heard that uh, from this Ed Mitchell, who's uh, one of the astronauts on Apollo 14.
1: Yeah, we know he's been on the show, too.
0: uh, he said that if uh, they had wanted to take over, they would have done it long ago. That their technology was, was was so much higher than ours. Now, as far as uh, uh, you know, morality changes in our planet. Uh, right now, over in the Middle East, we have people saying you're gonna, you you do it our way, or you're going to get your head knocked oh, off, I uh, know. off. Good and Lord. so we don't uh, we don't have a a, 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 a uh, a, a great uh, planet that 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 has that's known for its morality.
1: Unfortunately, uh, that's Disney true.
0: when get into religion, uh, religious conflicts. Look mm. at uh, the Holocaust. So uh, uh, we couldn't be an example for the universe of morality here. Not at all. No. Uh, but uh, we do have other, two other legs of the tri- of the tripod that are quite quite a ways along. One of them is uh, our music and culture, and uh, and. uh... Uh, our technology is probably uh, uh, a little bit ahead of where it might have been, but especially since we developed the atomic bomb during World War II. Uh, my understanding that uh, the aliens are concerned about us uh, getting into a nuclear conflict, which may affect them. I don't know exactly how. And yeah, that's, stand, that's a lot of time around. Opinion. Yeah, uh, around, uh, There's a lot of us feel that way, too. Yeah. Uh, they spent a lot of time around. Um, uh nuclear facilities and still do and uh, uh as a matter of fact there was some they believe some nuclear devices stored at at uh Bentwaters and, uh... in uh and the other uh air base there uh, in
1: woodbridge in yeah. yeah woodbridge yeah yeah and
0: that's why they think the uh device was had targeted the area was the fact that it had nuclear uh devices there.
1: Well, that's that's a very likely scenario, and uh, you can all, you can also see time travelers doing that too. But I don't know if time
2: works that way. But who, really, who knows? So, would Some- we grow would we grow a bond through technology as as opposed to like a bond of kinship or whatever? It would be like, well, I mean, we're advancing in technology, and or I don't know. I'm trying to think of how to how to freeze my point. My point being is if we can't get along with them. If these are completely alien creatures, then how would we even go about communicating or even showing the same sort of emotions if they have emotions or if they even have the same kind of ethics or morals as we do? Because that's the big thing I have against the exopolitics movement is why would we attribute human attributes to completely alien creatures?
0: Uh, uh, Some of the fascinating reading, I I don't read a lot about it, but I have uh, have read on it occasionally and uh... apparently the uh, the gray aliens are not able to reproduce naturally and they have to use uh, artificial insemination and they were interested in getting uh... uh... uh raisin egg uh, uh, uh... eggs uh... and uh, sperm samples from uh, male and female people that they took on the craft apparently they have a way of uh, an exercise of them, and, and getting them to go into craft, and then put them on the table and take us out. Take, take these things out, and that's what happened to Betty and Barney Hill. Mm. And uh, according to the hypnosis, that, that, anyway. Yeah, right up in your part of the country.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be at the Exeter UFO Festival in in a couple of weeks, as a matter of fact. And uh, Kathy will be there too. So, uh, well, I guess there really is no uh, particularly stark answer to any of these things but one of the things, uh, getting back to the nuclear theme that really has bothered me is something that I've heard from uh, a number of uh, people who um, are retired now, but high, high-ranking people, in the, particularly the Air Force at bases like Bentwaters and Woodbridge where there were not supposed to be nukes, but there, uh, there almost certainly were was that missiles were, have not only been tampered with by craft beams of light and all this sort of thing going on, but I- they have occasionally been retargeted and that really makes my blood run cold. I mean, retargeted to where? I don't know if you've heard anything about that.
0: I know of one that happened down at uh, in uh, California, and uh, a uh, they were launching a missile down there, and it was uh, well, they were testing the, uh, the uh, intermediate missiles. I believe it was the old Titan missile no. that they had. And uh, I used to be I lived down in Ventura, California, and it was a, a base that was up near Santa Barbara, not far away and uh, apparently they had uh launched a missile it didn't have a warhead in it, of course, but they were trying it out, and some uh craft of some kind flew circles around it while it was going up <laughs> and then directed it to uh to, to splash down far from wherever they, they were planning to have it splashed down yeah and uh I think they were just kind of showing off Listen, we've got uh we we've got this technology so don't don't fool with us and um i remember hearing a report by a radar a guy who saw it happen uh, saw on on radar the two blips coming together and one going off the other going into the ocean so um uh that's the the, the case i recall where, where they have targeted uh, uh some of our things yeah. uh, there was another interesting thing happened uh we were flying intermediate uh, testing intermediate range missiles in the early uh early 60s, uh, and some of them flew over across the top end of our planes, which is about 40 miles north of where we found the UFO. And we wanted to make sure that something we, we found wasn't a crash missile. And we found out that they were very, very uh, strictly uh, uh, about uh, when missiles were, were flying over. And uh, they used to uh, apparently uh, launch them, from near Green River, Wyoming, and it would fly down over uh, Socorro, down onto the the, the uh, now four four million acre uh, uh, White Sands Missile Range, and uh, they would have all the ranchers who were who had ranches below where the missile was going to fly over go to uh, a motel and uh, have dinner and and stay there as long as there was uh, testing going on. Hmm. And one one rancher lady said, well, "We had a great time. We would go at the motel. The gals uh, go in a room, and men go to the bar. And <laughs> and uh, the, the the stale joke was, well, if they wanted to get our land, they just drop one of the missiles right here, because that's <laughs> where all the owners were.
1: Oh dear, but, I never I uh, never heard that before.
0: Yeah, it was. It's in the book. Uh, we talk about it a little bit uh, towards the end of the book.
1: Oh, cool. And
0: all right. um, so they the, the, they were very very careful about. Uh, uh, Flying missiles over populated areas, and then they tried to get people out of the way. I know a couple of ranchers that said, Well, you go ahead and fly the missile. I don't want to sit on my property. Right. And uh, they were. this is one of the ranchers that actually owned the property that we we're working on.
1: Well, and uh,
0: I said, Well, what do you got against missiles? He said, Well, it would just ruin a cow's day if one fell nearby. Oh, <laughs> it's well, true. And, and uh, yeah. So uh, uh, there's a little humor involved there, but they're serious, too.
1: That's true, yeah, yeah. Well, Art, we only have a few minutes left. What's the next step for you in this investigation?
0: Well, I'm now 82. I've been on this since 1994. And my next step is to sit back and enjoy myself and be on shows like yours.
4: (laughs) Okay. And uh, I don't
0: have a plan. I don't have any plan beyond that. Fair enough. And I would hope that uh, some of your listeners would... Uh, could get the the uh, the book and uh, get to the website uh, www.ufocrashbook.com, and there's all kinds of materials there that uh, even if you don't order, we uh, you could uh, look at it and there's that free free report if you want it from, uh, from Steve Cobert. So uh, we just going to sit back and kind of enjoy ourselves now.
1: Okay, very well. Well, uh, take an example from Stan Friedman. He just turned 80 and he's still he's in the prime of life. There, he's still kicking. And we'll see him here in New England in a couple of conferences this fall. But, but Art, a fascinating conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like your style. Uh, I like the book. So please uh, d- don't relax too much. If you have a chance to write another book, do so.
0: Okay. okay. Uh, I, I don't think I have another one in me. This is my fourth one. I wrote about pioneer history before.
1: Oh, Okay, right, yeah. I yeah. write would... about history, too, but New England history. Well, that's great. Okay, well, thanks for a great conversation. Uh, we'll be in touch off the air. And um, have a pleasant evening.
0: See
1: you. Okay. Bye. Alright, Art Campbell everybody UFOcrashbook.com Very interesting stuff Do we have time for a uh, question? No We don't Okay, alright Well let's get to our uh, announcements then uh, The As we just mentioned to Art Campbell The Exeter Kiwanis UFO Festival In Exeter, New Hampshire Is right around the corner Saturday, August 30th Ben and I will present a program On Strange Connections UFOs, cryptids, and ghosts Cryptids, by the way Are like Bigfoot and stuff like that other speakers will include the great Stanton Friedman we just spoke, with, spoke about and Bob Schroeder, both of whom are frequent guests of ours, and we'll offer more information as it develops. And you can check www.exeterufofestival.com. Then on Saturday, September 20th, we will be at the True Paranormal Event 2014, a celebration of advanced understanding in the paranormal, times our 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Brookline Event Center, Brookline, New Hampshire. Better than that, will present a program as will our good friend Shane Searway of TrueGhost.com who is organizing the event. Also speaking will be Bill Hall, author of the new book, The World's Most Haunted House, about the Bridgeport, Connecticut poltergeist case of 1974, where I was involved with Idol Lorraine Warren, and Bill will be on the show in a few weeks.
2: Alrighty, and after all that, there will be two events for which we'll be raffling off tickets. One, the Experiencers Speak Conference. That's going to be at the uh, Clarion Hotel and Conference Center in Portland, Maine, on September 6th and 7th. And this is a UFO conference based on abductees, experiencers, contactees, and all of that. And we will have a uh, drawing... For that, on our August 25th show, and you can find out more about that event at www.experiencerspeak at yolasite.com. That's Y O L A S I T E.com.
1: On top of all that, there is the second New England UFO conference on October 17th and 18th, City Hall, Leominster, Massachusetts. Ben and I, along with many uh, prominent UFO experts you've heard on this show, including Mark D'Antonio, who was our co host last week, will be speakers. Uh, on September 29th, we'll raffle off two family packs of tickets for that.
2: And you can enter by going to our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. You can sign up that way, or you can send a snail mail over to uh, won 1240. 985 Park Avenue, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, 02895. Please be sure to include your name, address, and phone number. And as I said, links at our website. And also at our website, you can find over 550 free podcasts, uh, both from ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio. And don't forget, www.newenglandghosts.com, where there are case studies and photos, along with articles by my dad. Okay.
1: Uh, We leave you this evening with a thought from the great French author Jules Verne. Science is made up of mistakes, but they are mistakes which is useful to make because they lead little by little to the truth.
2: I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time.
0: Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.